0: The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout. I'm the CMO of the W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. I am here at the National Summit on Strategic Communications, and I have to say that i have had the privilege of sitting down with a lot of really smart people but um, maybe nothing quite like this interview i'm about to do i'm sitting here with retired colonel bill reader of the u.s army he's also an author uh, we'll talk a little bit about his book uh, and a leadership consultant and so a lot of what we're going to talk about are some of the leadership skills he's learned uh, we found out i think this is well known but he was one of the last if not the last pow in vietnam We realized yesterday that I think that's the 45th year sort of anniversary of, if you could call such a thing that. I guess it will celebrate the freedom. Um, But uh, you were kind enough to sit down with uh, Bob Hastings at this event and talk a little bit about your story, sort of what happened. You document a lot of that in the book. Um, And then how you've translated these into some leadership lessons. So, first of all, welcome. And second of all, let's hear this crazy story that it's almost too hard to believe that you've uh, survived.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And, and of course, the details of the story are in the book. Uh, The book is Through the Valley, My Captivity in Vietnam uh, by me, William William Reader, Jr., uh, so very briefly, highlights of, of that story. I was in Vietnam on my second combat tour of duty, arriving at the end of 1971, December 1971, uh, assigned flying Cobra AH-1G attack helicopters in, in combat. On the 9th of May, I was shot down in my Cobra uh, with, very violently. Uh, Large caliber anti-aircraft weapons ripping through the uh, tail of the aircraft, knocking out the tail rotor, the engine, uh, fuel cell was penetrated, fuel spewing out, so we came down spinning and and burning, uh, impacted, bounced up, spun another turn and a half and settled in, Uh, so it was a very violent crash. Uh, I was uh, wounded in the action. Uh, my back was broken in the crash. I had a shell fragment in my right ankle. I was burned on the back of my neck. I had superficial wounds with a lot of blood on my head. Uh, somehow got out of the aircraft. Uh, my, my front seat also got out uh, his side. We never did get together on the ground, looked for him, couldn't find him. Uh, I evaded capture that first day and, and with much difficulty. I was initially, I couldn't move at all. Finally, I was able to move, crawl, later get up and hobble. Uh, I evaded capture that first day, second day, third day. Finally, my ruck, luck ran out on the third day and I was captured by the uh, by the enemy. Uh, I was uh, interrogated, I was tortured. Uh, my arms were tied behind my back as a part of the interrogation. Uh, pulled ever more, clo- my elbows pulled ever more closely together uh, with each subsequent question until finally they were pulled together and both my shoulders dislocated. So I had that injury on top of my others. Uh, I had leeches that uh, I had been pulling off my body, and those leech wounds were already beginning to get infected. Uh, because of my back injury, my broken back, I had no control of my bowels or bladder for those days, so I was essentially a mess, uh, probably not too far from, from death. Uh, but nonetheless, after a few days of, of interrogation and captivity, uh, I was marched off through the jungle for three days to my first prison camp in, uh, in northern Cambodia, across the border into Cambodia lived there in bamboo cages, feet kept in wooden stocks, a diet of rice, a, a grapefruit-sized ball of rice twice a day. And then after some weeks in captivity in that camp, uh, was uh, pulled out of my cage, uh, placed with a group of 25 South Vietnamese officers and another American, marched off through the jungle barefoot this time, no, no boots, um, told that we were going to a new camp that could be as far as 11 days away. Uh, That journey ended up being not 11 days, but over three months travel north. Uh, I, in addition to the wounds that I described already, I got uh, bloody dysentery, three kinds of intestinal parasites, three different kinds of malaria, and a a malabsorption condition called tropical sprue. Uh, That trip, uh, yeah, didn't last 11 days. It lasted over three months. Uh, It took us all the way into North Vietnam to the capital city of Hanoi. Along the way, six of the South Vietnamese prisoners uh, were, uh, died or were executed, and the other American died before I finally got to Hanoi, and I damn near died about a half a dozen times. So that was my experience. Uh, spent time in the prisons of Hanoi, the last one being the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, was released in, uh, in, uh, tw- on the 27th of March, 1973. Yeah, I was not the last prisoner in the war. I was the last U.S. Army prisoner taken uh, who survived captivity. There were no Army guys taken after me, but there were some Air Force and Navy uh, pilots shot down after me that came out.
0: Gotcha. Well, thank you for telling that story and thank you for the clarification. Uh, I mean, I just, I can't even imagine, And I guess, before we get into the book a little bit and the leadership, and obviously you're you're sort of recounting from the book, at what point, like, let me ask you this differently, you have to really Be able to dig down deep and you did share with us as part of the audience that you're a glass half full kind of guy Yes, and that you attribute to a major reason why you survived but there must have been a dozen times You're like, you know what it would have just been easier to give up And I think uh, Bob Hastings even mentioned that you cite in the book that you could have made this all go away By renouncing your country and essentially saying, you know, this is all one big mistake you chose not to being the Patriot that you are Go through that mind process a little bit because I'm sure this was something where just given the excruciating pain and mental torture you're going through that it had to have gone through your mind like is it really worth it to keep going and clearly you made the decision that it was.
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, first on the, uh, you know, the enemy giving me the opportunity to sign essentially a confession, and, and, and the, the, uh, the deal that was put out was, hey, if you'll give us some minimal cooperation, you'll get the humane and lenient treatment, and, and, and we can work towards an early release. And I wasn't about to do that. That was not a difficult decision. I was a serving Army officer. Uh, we uh, have a code of conduct which is taught to us and that we, uh, we live by, and, and never— during my captivity did the thought ever come to my mind that I would do something like that. So that was not a, a, a difficult decision. Just living and surviving day to day though did become very difficult. Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine, and in my book at the end of it, I have uh, seven steps for captivity uh, in, uh, as, a, as a prisoner of war. Uh, and I wrote that right after I got back. The book wasn't written until uh, published last year, but that uh, those steps to survival in a POW camp were. And number one is eat. Uh, as, as, as simple as that sounds, as a prisoner, that was tough. All we were getting was rice twice a day. I, I was in, you know, I'd had a couple tablespoons of rice with a meal now and then uh, in, in my life. Uh, never had to subsist on rice, and I got very, very difficult to eat. I ended up having to gag the food down, but I knew I had to do it to survive. I, I likened survival in a, uh, or the situation as a prisoner of war to be just the opposite of what it is for us today, every day, day in and day out. And by that, I mean we all woke up this morning. Uh, we are going through our day, may or may not have had breakfast, coffee, but we're, we're going through our day. To not survive this day, uh, we would have to do something overt. We would have to run a hose from the exhaust pipe of our car into the window. We would have to take a gun and shoot ourselves. We'd have to overdose on pills. We'd have to do something uh, to stop living. As a prisoner, it becomes just the opposite. Uh, to survive, you have to force yourself, as I said, to gag down the rice. You have to endure the pain. You, you, you have to, to force yourself just about through every single day. If you want to die, you just give up and don't do anything. You just sit back and relax and death will come. So it's almost a, a, a reversal of, of, of survival between uh, today and, and
0: being a prisoner. So, I mean, again, truly amazing story. I, I would like to pivot. What did you learn from this from a leadership perspective? And, again, you you teach this now. Right. Um, you're a consultant. So one of the things that I was intrigued with is you shared the traits of the leader. And and correct me if I'm missing these. but, um, at, And I'd love for you to drill down on these. Attitude, need for self-reflection, which I think is probably one a lot of people miss, but maybe one of the most important sacrifice. You mentioned uh, Ted Guy, who is a part of the, the unit, and maybe you could speak to him a little bit, and then a need to feel part of something bigger. So can you talk a little bit about some of those traits? Yeah, I, I can. And, and all of those, in the leadership
1: programs I've been involved in today, we teach a lot. We hit a lot of areas, but those that you just went over are things that I drew from that prison experience, and I'm still able to apply today. And attitude was, yeah, attitude was at the core of my survival. Uh, I've always been a positive person. I'm not sure why. I had a somewhat troubled youth, but I've still, I've been a positive person my whole life. In captivity, I maintained that positive attitude. Uh, The other American that was with me did not he, he had a, uh, a, a negative attitude on, on a lot of things and would see the worst when I'd see the best. We'd be uh, hiking up the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, on this forced march, and I'd just make some stupid joke. At the uh, you know, In fact, the, the, last, uh, the last item on my survival steps as a, as a prisoner of war is maintain a sense of humor. And sometimes my sense of humor is a bit sick, but I'd come up with these stupid jokes, and Wayne would just scowl at me. Uh, but in the end, that attitude helped bring me through, and that attitude, I think, was part of him not being able to survive. Since release and the work I've done on leadership, I have seen a real impact on attitude among leaders and their ability to lead, Uh, so that's one. Uh, Yeah, the self-reflection, I think, is extremely important in our world today, and it seems to get worse year after year after year. We just get busy, busier, and busier yet, and there is little time to just sit and reflect on who we are, uh, what we mean to any organization, and uh, and how we might become better leaders or better better staff officers. Uh, so I think self-reflection is extremely important. Uh, the sacrifice, um, yeah, I I think good leaders are not, they're not the arrogant center of the organization. A good leader, in my mind, is one who sacrifices of self for the betterment of the organization and i saw that firsthand with our senior officer in hanoi uh, colonel ted guy who uh, who sacrificed so much for the larger group he was beat he was tortured uh, because of his uh, efforts to protect the rest of the uh, uh, of the prisoners and then certainly from that experience with that group uh, in hanoi uh, saw myself as a part of a greater a greater, uh, a greater organization, a a greater entity.
0: Uh, I've carried that through my military assignments uh, since. So I do want to shift gears, and just for the listeners who are wondering, like, how can you possibly not make this a long podcast, right. because this guy is fascinating. I did tell the colonel that uh, he's- I'm le- sitting
1: here beginning to wonder that myself. He's, but he's,
0: he's leading a roundtable after this, and so part of his leadership skills are keeping the train on the tracks, Right. Um, so we do want to get him off to that. I have two sort of last pieces that I want to talk about that we prepped a little bit for, and that is, I love to know, as part of this podcast, who's- influencing the influencers or who's inspiring. So I'm sure, one, I know you've inspired a lot of people, but who in your life has inspired you or is there a book that you've read that is particularly notable? And then we'll ask the sort of fun final question.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, I've read a lot, obviously, being involved in leadership, a lot of books on, on, on leadership uh, and impressed by much of what many had to say. Uh, but I think the uh, the one person who has inspired me most that, that has written on the subject is Colin Powell. I really draw a lot from what Colin Powell has to say about leadership because in my mind, he is the epitome of those things that I have just said about leadership. Uh, in, the, in the Army, the importance of the soldier at the center and the core of, of, of what we do, uh, then the, uh, the importance of training and, and mission rather than the, you know some, some commander who thinks uh, himself the center of the, uh, of the universe. Uh, so Colin Powell, I think, has a lot to say about leadership and how to be a very effective leader
0: well, i love that choice and certainly he's a personal favorite and someone i've always looked at as strong but quiet right and and very upstanding and i know one last thing i'd like to touch on just before we go to the fun desert island piece and that is um, you did talk a little bit about we mentioned the abilene what was it, paradox, what, paradox, the Abilene paradox and i think This is one that a lot of companies forget about, and maybe you could give a little bit more, like 30-second of the Abilene Paradox, and why it's important to not have this groupthink mentality, and then we'll go on to the final question.
1: Yeah, there's a phenomenon called groupthink, which is essentially a group of people get together discussing whatever the issue is, and somebody says something, and everybody just falls in line and agrees, and nobody's expressing their honest views. Uh, The danger of that in, in business is it can lead you down unprofitable tracks. Uh, the danger of that in uh, in the military is it can lead to bad planning, which can result in fatalities on the battlefield. So you don't want to be uh, succumbing to group think. Uh, one thing that we use sometimes in military schools is something called the Abilene Paradox, and you can find that online. It's uh, essentially the story of a family in uh, West Texas that all ends up uh, taking a drive on a very hot day in an unair conditioned car to go to a, a cafe that doesn't have that good of food in Abilene uh, they all endure this trip and get back to the house to find only that uh, none of them really wanted to take this trip. And as they point fingers of blame, everybody explains how they got sucked in
0: into that group thing. So, yeah, that's good. Well, someone that lived in Texas for six years in Austin, I can attest to just how unfun that probably was. Um, we will get to the final question, and we'll wrap up, so we keep you okay. to 15 minutes here. Um, I do want to ask the question, like I prepped you for, it's a little weird con- considering you did actually have a lot of time you know, on, in isolation, but you're on a desert island. This is something I ask all the guests. Um, There's an album that you can listen to, maybe not your favorite album, but it's the one that, you know, you just sort of can live with into perpetuity. Which album would that be and why would you choose it? Okay,
1: and I'll, t- I'll, I'll answer the question in a minute because you said album. Uh, as a prisoner, there were two songs particularly that I sung to myself marching up that Ho Chi Minh Trail that helped keep me going. Uh, one was Yellow Submarine by The Beatles. Uh, just seemed to be something that I, that I could hum in my mind and, and get me going. And the other was Little Bit of Tear Let Me Down by Burl Ives. Most people won't remember that, but uh, those two songs... Now we come to the album, if I was on a desert island and it, and it was an album, uh, it wouldn't be either one of those. It would be uh, something by Creedence Clearwater Revival, uh, my, my favorite group. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I could go ahead and, and say this with some embarrassment. Uh, my uh, young son is named Chad Cameron Reader, my young daughter is named Chelsea Christina Reader, and both of their initials are CCR, uh, not, uh, not too far removed from the fact that I, I really love that, uh, that group.
0: So I have to ask one sort of drill-down question. Does your wife know that you intentionally chose names <laughs> that lined up with CCR? Because she may have just thought we're doing,
1: oh, CCR, that's coincidental. She had no idea. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know that I did. When Chad was born, that's the way it ended up. Chelsea was due to be delivered on Christmas Eve. In Panama, and Melanie, like the Melanie, my wife, liked the middle name Noel since she was going to be born on Christmas Eve. I was never a huge fan of of Noel, uh, but the date came, the date went, and it was going to be obviously not Christmas Eve. And I said, Hey, we're approaching the New Year. Why don't we think of something else? And we both decided we really liked the name Christina. And I think it was only after that that I looked and and noticed that, okay, now both these kids have the initials CCR. And I will say that both those kids have been very proud of that from the day that they could comprehend the fact that they had those initials and both of them are huge CCR
0: fans. Well, it's a great story. And I have to tell you, my wife is Melanie too, so I'm particularly (laughs) fond. Um, This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group. Uh, I am the host of the What to Know podcast. We're here at the uh, National Summit on Strategic Communications. I've had the the pleasure of probably sitting down for less time than I would like, but I'm greatly appreciative of retired Colonel William Reeder, Jr. Making sure I get that. He is a author. He is a uh, leadership consultant. And uh, I would highly recommend that you do go out and look for his book um, because of the fact that I think it's I'm going to put it high up on my list of books. Uh, Just the little excerpts I heard were amazing. So thank you so much, Bill. Thank you want more episodes of the what to know podcast we post a new episode every thursday check them out on itunes the podcast app and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know